everyone. It's Jules. Welcome to All Things Iceland. I'm excited about the special honorary guest that I have on the show this week. And it is Chief Phil Fontaine, who is the former chief, national chief of the Assembly of First Nations in Canada and is, is from Canada. I would also like to add that this episode was sponsored using funds from the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada. So thank you very much to them for sponsoring this episode. We are going to be touching on some really fascinating topics and I'm, I feel very honored to have the opportunity to talk to him about this and kind of get some more insight and how the part of Canada where he grew up, as well as his people, as Indigenous people are from, it aligns with Iceland in a fascinating way. So first of all, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for the invitation. My pleasure. And in terms of your experience, so there's obviously new Icelanders coming, or Western Icelanders, as they're often called in Iceland, coming to Canada. This predates you in terms of your uh, time you've been alive. But I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that history of when Icelanders came over in like the 1800s and Indigenous people were obviously already there and have been there before other Europeans had come over. And the experience that Icelanders had with Indigenous people, with your people. Well, the first in-depth um, look that I was presented uh, with was through my friend, Lentz Sigurdsson. Okay. He was Icelandic. He's a lawyer. Uh, and uh, he grew up in Riverton, Manitoba, which is it, which wouldn't be included in the Icelandic community. Right. That, uh, and then uh, we're in the uh, first Icelandic people uh, came to Canada mm -hmm. and settled in the interlake. Mm -hmm. And uh, so uh, Glenn and I became good friends, we're still very good friends, and uh, he's a well-known lawyer. He's been involved in some very serious uh, and important uh, legal issues related to Indigenous peoples. Mm -hmm. So he and I uh, had many opportunities to talk about the, Ice the uh, Icelandic people mm -hmm. in the interlake and the very special relationship that they have with First, first Peoples right. in the area, the interlake. Yes. And uh, how the... Uh, the first peoples there uh, supported the initial group of immigrants mm -hmm. from Iceland because what they encountered was unexpected. Right. It's cold, and and uh, they didn't have the, the the means available to them uh, to ensure that survive the first harsh winters. Right. Yeah. And so it was our people that supported them, uh, gave them food, mm -hmm. and made sure that uh, that they could survive. And of course, not of course, and, and, and one of the uh, one of the unfortunate uh, parts of the story is that uh, the Icelandic people that first arrived on our shores and, mm -hmm. and arrived in uh, Montreal, yeah, Quebec, mm -hmm. and then they pushed out westward the interlake. They brought smallpox. Yeah, it's terrible, and uh, it was devastating for both communities, the Icelandic community and, of course, our people. Mm -hmm. And. Uh, uh, one of the stories that I've heard is that uh, when the, the community, the First Nations community people went around to where the Icelandic people had made camp, mm. they uh, went into one of the tents. And the only survivor there was a child. Wow. 
And so they took the child and adopted him, in effect, mm -hmm. raised him. Wow, okay. And uh, that child became a member of the community. Yeah. And that began, in my view, the, the, uh, the interaction, the uh, interdependence, and uh, the growth of a very special relationship between the Icelandic people and uh, our people. Yeah. And uh, so you, you, uh, you go out there, you'll find that there are a lot of people with uh, blood connections to mm. this part of the world. Yeah. That is fascinating. And I feel like also the relationship in terms of Icelanders are leaving devastation in their country. This is the reason why many of them immigrated. And at the same time, being given by, you know, what is then the government of Canada land in an area that is not really being or initially even owned by the government of Canada, right? So it's like this kind of, so over the years, as New Iceland, as they sometimes call it, in this area was formed, and seeing how Indigenous people were pushed onto reservations and, you know, continuously their land, your land, right, being diminished in terms of your right to where you're able to live mm -hmm. and, you know, mm -hmm. prosper and um, even have access to resources and things like that. Has that been a contentious relationship in terms of seeing this happen for brand new people coming in and being like, wait a minute, <laughs> we're fighting for... Um, just to get our basics back, uh, or possibly ever, and yet there's this um, new group coming in, and they're given rights to land immediately. Mm -hmm. Well, there that would have caused tension, but I think both uh, communities were so intent and focused on survival, mm -hmm. and uh, you weren't gonna squabble over land. Mm -hmm. You wanted to make things go. Right. You wanted to create a life for yourself. And uh, that perspective is true for both communities. Right. And, uh, and it's true that uh, we lost most of our land uh, through various means, mm -hmm. uh, treaties, mm -hmm. uh, for one. Uh, the imposition of uh, certain legislation, like the Indian Act, that's mm -hmm. still in force today, first brought in as uh, legislation in 1876. And uh, the treaties essentially resulted in the loss of control mm. by our people over our own lands. Government. Right. Uh, imposed its will on our people, uh, whether you had treaties or not. Right. But in fact, most of Canada is covered by treaties of one kind or another. And the people that encountered Icelandic people were Treaty 1 people. And that's, I'm a Treaty 1 person. Mm. Pegwis, which is the largest First Nation community in our province. Mm one time occupied the most fertile farmland in Manitoba. Wow. And they were forced off their lands and into rocky, barren lands. Mm. And where the community of Pegwis is now situated. Wow. But they've, they've made a go of it. Yeah. It's a continuous, like, just doing the best with what you have, in essence. Well, yeah, and... Uh, each of our stories is unique, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, in our case, uh, pulp and paper company, uh, companies, I should say, uh, needed land, mm -hmm. needed uh, prime uh, stands of jack pine and spruce, and they needed a good water source mm -hmm. uh, for power. And uh, the choicest piece of land was. Our reserve. Yeah. Wow. So initially, they they uh, leased land from us and then bought us a, a beautiful piece of our reserve land, mm -hmm. and that's where they established a paper mill, 
town and rail access to Winnipeg. And uh, the, the company town thrived. Mm. The reserve community um, didn't do so well. Right. And uh, so it wasn't giving back to the community necessarily, well, or no. The, I mean the uh, the pulp and paper yeah. uh, company eventually uh, shuttered its uh, its business. Uh, I see. Okay. It's uh, it, they demolished the company. Okay. Because it became too expensive to. Operate. They had different uh, owners, mm -hmm. but for us, we continue to suffer the consequences of that mill. Mm. Those towns that were situated along the Winnipeg River, up, right. upstream of the Winnipeg River, uh, with all kinds of toxins and pollutants yeah, that went through uh, the river, the Winnipeg River. That your source that, of water, yeah. Right? And split the community in two, the North Shore and the South Shore. Okay. And so we've been out without uh, potable water, I mean drinking water, for years and years and years. Wow. We now have, and we're the one of the more fortunate ones because we were able to convince the government to set up a water treatment uh, plant yeah. on both sides of the river so that our people could have uh, safe drinking water. But before then, we made do with what we had right. from the river, right? And uh, at a point, we were able then to buy water from the town. Oh, wow. By barrels. Okay. You know, we'd pay so much uh, per barrel, and uh, you'd have to be, you'd have to conserve yeah. your, your water very carefully because... Uh, needed water to drink but for the rest of it you went you went to the river wow. either for uh washing clothes or for us and when we were young and uh didn't think about yeah. what the water uh contained <laughs> yeah we swam yeah having fun i mean yes, like as you fun. would in we had fun right. and uh even though health the health authorities that uh and uh not passed a law but uh made some very strong, forceful suggestions to us mm. uh, that we weren't to not only not drink the water, but to prevent us from... Uh, Being in it. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I think it's so difficult when it's a natural source of, like you're saying, water, and you don't feel the consequences of it immediately. So you're just thinking like, ah, it's probably not a big mm -hmm. deal. Like, And of course, being young and feeling invincible doesn't help you. Well, gosh, and... Uh, We've lost so much of our land through erosion. Oh, okay. Wow. Some of it is natural, mm -hmm. but much of it, in my view, has been caused by the, a series of dams, mm. hydro dams along the Winnipeg River. Okay. And so have created uh, um, currents that uh, have caused our, our shoreline to uh, erode. Yeah. I want to talk about, thank you for sharing that. I want to talk about some of the really impactful work that you've done and have continuously done as an advocate for Indigenous people and, and First Nations people, especially when it comes to residential, residential schools. Mm -hmm. um, and can you take us a little bit through this process? Because obviously it's been many years, decades, it seems, um, of you first being chief uh, of the National Assembly and then able to get an apology from. Canadian government and the Pope for these schools. So you and many of your family members and many people in your community went to residential schools. Is that correct? Correct. And unfortunately suffered, you know, abuse mm -hmm. there. When was it in your mind where you were like, this needs not only be like raise awareness, but there has to be something done for all of this trauma that has been pushed on, you know, indigenous people. Well, uh, in my family, mm -hmm. uh, we had 10 boys, two girls, family of 12, mom and dad, uh, grandparents, obviously. Um, 10 of the 12 attended residential school. Wow. The siblings. Mm -hmm. I was the youngest boy of uh, two younger girls. Mom and dad also went to Your mom same, and dad, wow. same yeah. residential school that I attended and and our grandmother on my father's side attended an industrial school 
which was the the, uh, industrial schools, I should point out, were modeled the industrial schools in the United States, the most famous being uh, Carlisle, Mm. Pennsylvania, Mm -hmm. where Jim Thorpe, Mm -hmm. the most famous and most outstanding athlete Mm -hmm. (laughs) in the United States for the first half century. Yeah. He attended that school. Okay. So government officials from Canada were sent south to look at the... To learn. To learn. (laughs) Yeah. and, And see for themselves how... Uh, these industrial schools were transforming mm. the, the tribes in the United States and and creating not only uh, uh, outstanding students, mm-hmm. great athletes. Yes, because Jim Thurber was so amazing. And he was indigenous as well. Right? Oh, he was uh, absolutely. And, uh, and so those officials came back and reported to the Canadian government and... Uh, they made strong recommendations that they should, Canadian government should establish a system of industrial schools. What's the difference between residential and industrial? Well, schools? industrial schools were essentially designed to teach the students their uh, certain skills that would then be become uh, marketable. Mm, okay, like a mechanic or something. Mechanic, yeah. uh, blacksmith, mm-hmm. or uh, essentially focused on farming mm-hmm. and for women sewing uh you know very basic okay. elements of a of a, an economy so to speak but they were they didn't have a long shelf life industrial okay. schools too many of the students the kids that attended industrial schools were dying these schools what they, absolutely severe overcrowding oh wow poor circulation the Poor ventilation, uh, poor food. Yeah, and uh, they quite often uh, the churches that ran these schools, like ours was Catholic. Mm-hmm. Saint Boniface Industrial School was Catholic, where my late granny went. They they often lacked the basic necessities because right. the government wasn't transferring uh, sufficient resources to these schools mm-hmm. to be able to manage their responsibilities in a in a in an effective way. So they, they, sh- they closed down these industrial schools and converted some of them mm-hmm. into residential schools. That mm. was the next big uh, shift right. uh, in terms of how our people were going to be educated. Mm-hmm. And so residential schools were designed to uh, take us away from our families. Um, and uh, Christianize us, mm-hmm. uh, teach us a different language mm-hmm. than our own, uh, impose uh, sanctions on cultural practices. For, for example, the Sundance uh, was outlawed, potlatch law came into effect. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and in terms of uh, a better uh, quality of life mm-hmm. for those students that attended residential schools as compared to industrial schools, that didn't come to pass immediately because mm. there is still a problem with, with our kids dying in these schools. The most recent number, and this came from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in its report mm-hmm. that came forward at 94 calls to action, estimated that there was anywhere from 3,200 to 6,000 kids that died in these schools and never made it home. They're buried in different parts of the country. And uh, they discovered in Brandon, Manitoba, which which is about an hour and a half, two hours from our reserve, Mm -hmm. they found about 100 unmarked graves. But where this became, in my view, a pivotal moment in our discussions with the the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. in terms of an apology, was the discovery of 215 unmarked graves in Kamloops, British Columbia. Wow. And this became not only a national story, mm-hmm. not only did it shock Canadians, mm-hmm. that something terrible had, had gone on in these schools, mm-hmm. but the whole world 
cast its eyes on, the, on Canada mm-hmm. and this issue of residential schools. So that made it possible for us to make our way to Rome mm-hmm. to meet with Pope Francis. But before then, there had been a lot of very um, serious discussions uh, in many different quarters mm-hmm. about the residential school experience, the abuse in these schools, mm-hmm. uh, not only sexual, uh, physical, psychological deprivation. Yeah. Um, and in my own case, I decided to go public about this story in 1990. Mm-hmm. And uh, it took, gosh, about 25 years to get an apology from the Canadian wow. government. From going from that moment that you went public. 20, 2008, June, June 11, 2008, the Canadian government, when Prime Minister Harper, yeah. then Prime Minister Harper, rose in the House of Commons to apologize to Aboriginal people on behalf of all Canadians. Mm-hmm. And uh, included... In this, though it wasn't part of the, the settlement agreement, we negotiated the historic Indian residential school settlement mm-hmm. agreement. And uh, my now wife, professor mm-hmm. of law, University of Calgary, Kathleen Mahoney, was our chief negotiator, but I headed the team and we negotiated the settlement yeah. with the Canadian government that uh, turned out to be. Uh, Worth over six billion. Wow, and that's meant to. So it, it the, most of the six billion. Yeah. Uh, went directly to First Nation survivors. Okay. Uh, of abuse in residential yeah. schools, and uh, that was uh, an incredible. Yeah, it's monumental. Moment. It's amazing. And other settlements followed this one. Mm, okay, this so this be- was like the domino effect. Yes. Yeah, and. Uh, you had settlements for day schools, day scholars. Most recent one are uh, the 60s school mm-hmm. where our children were sold off wow. to and, and taken up by uh, mostly white families and in many cases sold off into the United States. Uh, it was like a bounty on the heads of Indian, Indian children yeah. because... Our families, our communities were seen as incapable of looking after our children. Okay. So um, there's a huge settlement recently, $40 billion. <sighs> so I don't want anyone to think or be left with the impression that money does it all. No. Yeah. Right? Money is one aspect of it. It Correct. pays for the damages if you're looking at tort law. Yeah. Right? But this is an issue that has taken us on a journey. Mm -hmm. And it's going to take us years before we are finally able to resolve the consequences Mm -hmm. of the residential school experience. Right? And it's... uh, It's generational trauma. Right? And so we we had the apology from Francis, Pope Francis, we had this very incredible statement mm-hmm. by Pope Francis on his flight back to Rome mm-hmm. when he described what had happened to our people as genocide. Wow. A very powerful, yeah. heavy word. Yes. Much more than cultural genocide that right. was expressed by the former Chief Justice, Supreme Court of Canada, the former Prime Minister Paul Martin, and indeed the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Right. right. Cultural genocide. Has no legal definition. No. Genocide has. Yes. Now, well documented in yes. many cases, right? Now, most recently, uh, the Catholic Church has rescinded, revoked, you can choose whatever word you wish, the doctrine of discovery. Yeah. Which is a huge. So, first of all, congratulations on the. Decades of work that you've been doing, and many people around you, and, and you know, your wife included, and all the individuals within well, your community a, no, you, I, <laughs> that have been. You know, I, I, uh, I would be loath to, to claim credit. Yeah, for, you're, you, I, 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 yeah. I was a part of those. Right. Yeah, you're, you're part of a larger yes. 
group and community that mm-hmm. are collectively bringing mm-hmm. this to the forefront. And I'm just appreciative that as one of the res- representatives, the opportunity to share this, because mm-hmm. it is something that A, is um, huge in mm-hmm. terms of history and just being acknowledged, A, right? And then the Pope to say that isn't also another huge mm-hmm. thing. One thing just slightly parallel to this that I think is interesting is when I was reading about New Iceland and how they were able to um, set up their own schools. Mm-hmm. And you know, so it's like, so these new individuals who, yes, were considered Christian, but had their own language, just like you have your, uh, your mm-hmm. Ojibwe, was they, as far as I understand it, New Icelanders were not forced into these residential schools to change their language. That's correct. Oh, no. Gosh, no. That, right. Uh, yeah. Any, any, uh, uh, any community of immigrants mm-hmm. that came to Canada were essentially allowed to practice their own faith, um, uh, enjoy their cultural activities, uh, speak their their language mm-hmm. and uh and that was it though Canada is seen mm-hmm. not just culturally but in in a legal sense yes as a country founded by two nations French and English yeah. that equation excludes mm-hmm. the true founders of this country Canada mm-hmm. The first peoples. Right. We weren't at the table when the provincial governments, provincial states, together with the federal state, the federal crown, the federal government, mm-hmm. divvied up the spoils. Uh, we were we were not at the table. Hence, we are now forced to contend with the consequences mm-hmm. of exclusion. Right. And so Canada has been forced to dole out the significant uh, uh, resources to try and catch up uh, for the wrongs they committed, mm-hmm. successive governments committed on on our peoples. Right. And is that as, for instance, Trudeau, who's the current Ju- prime minister? Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Is there a continuous acknowledgement, or do you sometimes feel like, depending on who's in office, it can go either way? Like, you know, what's what's the sentiment from politicians often regarding First Nation people? Well, uh, we've been uh, a burr in the saddle, Mm. right? We've been uh, uh, quite often seen as uh, representing or representative of intractable problems. Mm -hmm. We're like a problem child for Canada. <laughs> it's like, you it's like, be quiet. Yeah. You just be thankful. <laughs> but the current government mm-hmm. has been so very progressive in my view. Okay. Uh, Prime Minister Trudeau and his government have taken some very significant steps to um, rectify the, the terrible situation that successive uh, governments mm-hmm. Have imposed on our people. You know, I mentioned the Indian Act. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's still law. Yeah. If you can give an example, I feel like that would help people to understand almost how ridiculous this, this act is. Well, for 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 example, mm-hmm. uh, it describes how our lands mm-hmm. will be administered mm-hmm. by by government, right? Right, and control that will be ex- exercised by our people over our lands is reflected in, in the, the Indian Act. The schools, mm-hmm. right, where we will be educated was reflected. That's been, to a large extent, by, by government policy has been uh, rectified. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it controls every aspect of our lives. Right. right? And even where we have land claims settlements where we we've had progressive uh, court decisions mm-hmm. at every level but mm-hmm. especially in the Supreme Court of Canada for example title over our lands mm-hmm. the underlying title is held by the federal crown right mm-hmm. even 
as the doctrine of discovery is finally cast aside, the doctrine of discovery is embedded in the United States Mm. legal system. Mm. And two specific uh, historic uh, points in 1823, Supreme Court decision, Mm -hmm. most recent in 2005, with the Oneida decision. Mm -hmm. And on the Oneida, started off before they entered into, I think, three treaties. The US US government started off with six million acres. By the time they were finished with their treaty making with the US government, they were left with 32 acres. And so 32? 32. And so they devised a system of creating their own economy and making their own money. They wanted to buy back some of their traditional lands and to have those lands uh, treated the same way as other tribal lands that, yeah. that were able to exercise certain uh, tax uh, uh, benefits. Yeah. That went to the Supreme Court of Canada, I mean the Supreme Court of the United States. Wow. Right? Yeah. And interestingly enough, the uh, majority decision that denied the Oneida, mm-hmm. majority decision was written by Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Oh, wow. 2005. Yikes. Right? Yeah. And uh, the same uh, constraints apply in Canada. Mm. Even though in the last number of years, We've been on this tremendous winning streak mm-hmm. of legal decisions that I've described in favorable terms our rights and interests, mm-hmm. about 200 in the last number of years. Wow. And so uh, there's, there's a bright light that's being... Yeah. So, Things are yeah. finally kind of just like yes. opening up after and, lots of labor behind it. Right. And, so, and, and our government, current government is taking some giant steps to uh, do things right. Yeah. Because the relationship between our people and successive governments has been terribly fractured. Mm-hmm. And that includes the churches, and mm-hmm. in particular the Catholic Church, because they ran so many of the schools. Wow. So we've been to Rome a number of times. We've, in my case, I, I've had the distinct pleasure of meeting with three Popes. Yeah, that's amazing. And the most recent, of course, has been the most significant. Yeah. Who is the most progressive, for sure. Yes. Yeah. Is uh, personable, mm-hmm. thoughtful, and at times might be seen by the conservative element of the church as reckless, <laughs> right? By first talking about sexual abuse, yeah, and then genocide, and then now doctrine of discovery mm-hmm. and, Which, each, and each time he promised that he would he would come say to canada he said i will visit mm. you in your country and i will give expression to the apology in a more expansive way than what i did in rome saint oh. peter's and he did he came to our one of our communities in alberta okay and apologized there that's amazing he came on his pilgrimage and yeah and each stop he Expanded on the apology. Great. I'm glad that there is a continuous effort by different institutions that are uh, acknowledging and, and trying oh, yeah. to make amends to the degree that for sure. some of them feel yeah. able. And the, the, But the thing that is, uh, for me, uh, that speaks volumes of the way things have changed mm-hmm. is that our people are now able to celebrate mm, your culture, our culture, yes, our da- dances, our songs, mm-hmm. and uh, the sweat lodge, and reclaiming uh, your yeah. culture. Yeah, what what was denied us for, yeah, for, for for such a long time? Not that every First Nation person or every Indigenous person is has embraced right. the the cultural. Uh, uh, aspects of First Nations uh, peoples. Mm-hmm. Some some remain with the church, de- de- devoted to the church, mm-hmm. but that's okay. Yeah, it's your right? choice. As long as that it's 
personal choice. Right. And some are still, you know, where they were mm -hmm. before. Right. Okay. And just in terms of the doctrine of discovery, because I feel like whenever you hear it, whenever I hear it, I mean, for you, it's going to hold a di totally different feeling and meaning. But when I hear it, it sounds so positive, right? Like there's like, ooh, a doctrine of discovery. But in reality, <laughs> what it does. So could you explain just a little bit for people who are not familiar with what that actually means and why the U.S. would even be involved mm -hmm. in this? Well, the doctrine of discovery was proclaimed by serious papal bulls, mm -hmm. right? The, the, the first, of course, or the second, made it possible for countries like Portugal mm -hmm. and Spain mm -hmm. to come to the Americas and to declare, make declarations that they had founded mm -hmm. these lands. Mm -hmm. And the church's view was, if they were occupied by non-Christian people, they're soulless. Wow. And so their lands can be taken yeah. by force. I Means it's a Columbus. That's right. You know. And uh, and and you can exterminate these people, and that's that's what the the Portuguese and the Spaniards did, mm -hmm. right? And uh, that's how people in the South lost so much of their land. Mm -hmm. In Canada, less right. uh, of. Uh, um, less of an uh, less of an attempt mm -hmm. to exterminate us. Mm -hmm. They did it. They were more uh, uh, by stealth. Mm. You know, yeah. laws, policies. It's a slow death. Yes, and uh, they did not a slow march across the country, but right. uh, the expansion was rapid. They took land that they needed for the railroads. Mm -hmm. They needed land for their settlers. They needed land for the to mine uh, valuable uh, resources underground. Mm -hmm. Needed land for oil and gas. Needed land for uh, forestry operations. And uh, out of our lands uh, emerged uh, cities, towns. And villages, mm -hmm. and most of the towns, cities, and villages knew nothing about Aboriginal people. Right. No idea, for example, that residential schools existed. Wow. No idea that abuse occurred in these schools. Mm -hmm. No idea that there were about anywhere from 3,500 to 6,000 still unmarked graves. So it's, uh, it's been a an incredible journey, mm -hmm. and one would be, I think, wrong to think, now that you have your apology from the Canadian government, now that you have the Pope apologize to you, now that the Catholic Church has rescinded the doctrine of discovery, mm -hmm. that this is the end of the story. Right, no. But it's, it's actually the beginning. Right. And so we are now on this incredible journey, and as uh, Senator, then Senator Murray Sinclair said, when they made, when they made public the, T, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission mm -hmm. report, the TRC, mm -hmm. 94 calls to action, that it's like climbing a hill, mm. right? This journey we're on, and it doesn't get any easier as, no. you, as you climb upwards. It, it's, it's a struggle, mm -hmm. but it becomes easier if you have a number of people walking this journey with you, mm -hmm. and this is what uh, what we need, this is what we are calling for, mm -hmm. to have kind, respectful, responsible people join us in this journey. Mm -hmm. And this doesn't apply just to Canada. Right. Yeah, it's worldwide. Especially when you think about the four to 500 million Indigenous peoples worldwide. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We are not unique. No. I mean, I, like I mentioned to you, I had this interview in Greenland. Mm -hmm. And just like it, it's from many different aspects. The people might not be the same in terms of governments, but there's still this similar or if not the same 
type of tactics that are used in order to... I've been to Greenland. Yeah, you have. I've been to Greenland. <laughs> it's just amazing. And uh, I was blown away Yeah, when I heard the Danes speak. Mm-hmm. I thought they were Danes, but yeah. they're indigenous. <laughs> speak Danish. Yeah. And they go to the university mm-hmm. or uh, colleges in Denmark. Yeah. Right. And uh, I mean, and similar in your community as well, to get a better education, people have to you, leave. You leave the reserves right. most, most times. Uh, and you go to college or universities in the cities. Mm-hmm. I have, I'm with two granddaughters here. They live in Brooklyn. Yeah, now. where I'm from. <laughs> yes. And one will be at law school in the fall. Mm-hmm. And the older one is uh, doing her master's. Yeah. And they, Congratulations. Thank you. They, they absolutely. Uh, love New York. Yeah, they love Brooklyn. Yeah, Brooklyn. Brooklyn is the best. I mean, look, it's hard. They said, <laughs> and don't say Flatbush. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, just as a, a reference, I met Chief Phil uh, previously to this interview at the Canadian Embassy, and he was like, "There's a name for Brooklyn," <laughs> and he said Flatbush, and it was like, "No, <laughs> definitely not." Yeah. <laughs> but so it's, it but might... it's a neighborhood. It's a neighborhood. I understand. Yeah, but. Uh... <laughs> The gangs of no, what is it? The gangs of Flatbush? Is there a movie? The, there was a show, the gangs of New York was a that's a movie. Yeah, yes, yeah, yes. yeah. And the New York Yankees are called the Bronx Bombers. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you're but, saying this? But, <laughs> but I, I was a huge Brooklyn Dodgers fan. Yeah. But when they moved to Los Angeles, it's like just, ah, oh, yeah, geez. you lose the enthusiasm. Yeah. It's not the same. <laughs> And I don't think, like we mentioned, we were talking about, I don't think there's another professional team to that, in that level that's in Brooklyn now. I don't think so. No, for a while they had the hockey team. Yeah. The New York Islanders. And then they built this new complex yeah. on the island. <laughs> it's like everyone's yeah. just like, yeah, making room for more apartments or something. Yes. Um, I'm curious about in the Manitoba area, right? The now, so at first when, New Icelanders came over, right? There was survival. And now the reservations, I'm assuming they have modernized to a degree. I don't know. I've never been on one, so I don't oh, know. Oh, uh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, the, the communities that are situated where the Icelandic communities were settled mm-hmm. are, are progressive communities. Okay. They're very uh, progressive and uh, they've adapted. Uh, the so-called outside world, mm-hmm. very, very well. Strong leaders, uh, well-educated people, mm-hmm. uh, some very successful uh, business people. And uh, they're great fishers, just like the Icelandic people. Mm-hmm. Icelandic people took to the waters of Lake Winnipeg very, mm-hmm. very well. Mm-hmm. And my friend Glenn Sigurdsson's father, mm-hmm. uh, created this wonderful business and one of his out camps was situated first nation community across the lake mm-hmm. there were road builders they were very very successful yeah and so we have icelandic people mm-hmm. that have intermarried mm-hmm. become part of our communities yeah that's what i'm wondering about yeah. just in terms of like how oh, things gosh. have merged in, oh, in this area you go to Pegwis, for example mm-hmm. you have one family Red-headed people. And, and <laughs> With people, indigenous yeah. features or something. <laughs> yeah. And people say, they're, those are Icelandic people. <laughs> not, not in a, not in, in a negative way. But yeah. To, but yeah, because you, know, you can. Yeah. Yes. And uh, I used to see Icelandic people, my community, when I was a little boy. Mm-hmm. Right? And uh, they were different. Yeah. Right? They were, uh, yeah. That was so fascinating. And I think it's also kind of cool because it is nice when you like communities literally come together and it's not like this separate because this actually happens a lot in New York, especially mm-hmm. where it's not really a melting pot. Uh, a friend of mine called it a spice rack because you can take, you know, go to different neighborhoods in New York and Brooklyn in particular, mm-hmm. right, where there's a, it's quite a large borough. And there's like a Chinese area, there's a Russian area, there's a, you know, uh, people who are maybe Orthodox Jewish. Like there's so many different mm-hmm. places, but they're often kind of off on their own a little bit. I mean, we are, we're, we all like do business together, but it feels more like a spice rack than mm-hmm. just a fully integrated community a lot of the times. 
And it's nice to hear that there is this like, yeah, we're all kind of in this area and accepting of different cultures and merging of cultures and yeah, getting this more worldwide um, view instead of feeling like that's just the Icelandic community and this mm -hmm. is just the, um, I don't know, Ojibwe community, mm -hmm. you know, like it's just, it's not so separate. Yeah. Yeah. So in, in my family, um, there's a very strong family uh, connection with Lysanic uh, family. Mm -hmm. And uh, what's the name of the guy? Yulofsen. Okay. Yulofsen, right? And he was married to a Thomas woman. Okay. And my grandmother, my mother's side, Thomas connections. Mm -hmm. So it's a tight fit there. Yeah. With long uh, history. Yes, absolutely. And uh, what made, I think, this. Uh, process of assimilation, and I don't say this in a negative way, mm -hmm. uh, easier was the fact that they, there was an acceptance from both. One was escaping, right. uh, suffocating control of Danes. Mm -hmm. We were trying to get out from under yeah. government. Still trying. <laughs> yeah, still trying. Yeah. And uh, uh, ours has been a longer fight, it yeah. seems. Yeah. Uh, I, I arrived here and I looked down and wondered, geez, I was in Greenland. Mm -hmm. I saw mostly snow, ice, except yeah. for the shorelines. Mm -hmm. I come here to Iceland to see a lot of, <laughs> lot of ground. Lot of ground right? I see something's wrong here. Yeah. I'll come to the other places called Iceland and this one, not Greenland. It would be more appropriate. Greenland, yes. over 80% of Greenland is covered in ice. Yes. And 10 to 11% of Iceland is covered in ice. So, yeah. Uh, I, I, I find we consider us a beautiful country. Greenland as it. Yeah. Both are just, just magnificent. Yeah. yeah. And then you go across the water you have baffin island mm -hmm. yes and the inuit people there mm -hmm. as as you go west so uh there's a lot of beauty in this uh yeah part of the world and in canada oh canada yeah the, which is well, huge as well i mean yes, it's just in, it's amazing enormous country right i forget now what the how we would rank in terms of of uh uh land land mass mm, okay yeah, I don't know. But in our case, we have an idea how much we occupy and possess mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. Less than one half or one percent. Yeah. And at the Canadian Embassy, someone asked a, a great question of mm -hmm. you, which was like, if you were to be prime minister, what would be like, you know, on your order of agenda? And I thought it was amazing. You were like, well, <laughs> all the land <laughs> that used to be ours, right? So in the ideal situation, is that the ultimate goal is this all is returned back to the First Nations people? It would be impossible mm -hmm. to do something that dramatic. Mm -hmm. um, but what we would um, much prefer is that we are able to access lands, uh, through a fair and just process, mm -hmm. and to be able to occupy and possess lands that will make it possible, that will make it possible for us to generate the kind of economies that that are needed, mm -hmm. to establish sustainable economies, to uh, be able to accommodate our growing and expanding populations, mm -hmm. yeah, and uh, and to do it in a way that's fair to all people, right. We, I mean, we know that we can't uh, expect uh, Canadians to disappear. <laughs> I mean, just, <laughs> right? Even even by law, right? Uh, yeah. Right? Uh, I mean, mean, to do to do unto them what was done yes. unto you, in essence. No, no, we uh, we uh, we want to be we want to be treated fairly and justly. Yeah, as we want our, we want our laws to be respected. Right. Um, want our cultures to be honored. Um, we want history to be told mm -hmm. mm, in a truthfully. 
in a truthful way. Mm-hmm. We don't want Canadians to continue to believe that Canada was uh, represented by two founding nations, right. the English and the French, and in the process, ignore the existence of First Nations. Because right. we were here years and years and years, centuries before uh, colonization. Right. And I don't like to say settlers, right? Mm-hmm. Because, uh, no, we, we welcome all peoples. Mm-hmm. And we expect them to, uh, wherever they're from. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're, our, our country is so incredibly diverse. We have peoples from all over the world. Yeah, it's amazing. The problem is that immigrants, especially recent immigrants, are never given an opportunity to learn true story mm, okay. of Canada. Mm-hmm. They have no idea the, the history and the facts of how Canada came to be what it is. Right. Yeah. And I think that we do an in, injustice mm-hmm. to peoples when we don't teach the true history. Yeah. Because, I mean, history is full of beautiful and ugly moments. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is just how it is. Mm-hmm. But as you know, and I know personally, too, from my own background, that the um, history books are written by the victors, right? Mm-hmm. So the people, those who conquered or won in whatever situation. And at the same time, though, it's amazing having survived it and now being able to do as much as possible to not only reclaim like, your culture, but also show compassion. And I think that's, that speaks a lot to the culture of um, First Nations people of saying that we're not trying to come here and say, like, just reverse it the way mm-hmm. it should have been. But rather, how can we all make this so that we're mm-hmm. living in harmony together mm-hmm. and it doesn't feel like we're, you know, treated as less than. It's like, I'm just this, like as you, a human mm-hmm. being, and maybe I have different uh, traditions and ideas, but it doesn't make me less than. Well, but. I don't want to misrepresent mm-hmm. the facts either. Mm-hmm. Right? There's a lot of angry people in yeah, our community. For sure. And uh, poverty has just overtaken so many of our communities. Mm. The issue of homelessness in our big cities in mm. Canada okay. is really a story about the indigenous peoples. Wow. It's very, um, a very problematic situation with addictions. Yeah. And, uh, Homelessness and addictions put together. I just received news yesterday that my nephew mm-hmm. uh, had just passed on from an overdose. Oh, I'm right? so sorry. That's the third one in, in his family. Wow. With three nephews that have, that have passed on because of addictions. Yeah, my condolences to your family. Thank you. It's a huge problem. Yeah. It's a huge, huge problem. And uh, it ain't going away just by wishing it away. No. And a lot of addiction is linked to trauma. And a lot of trauma is not just from a life that you've lived now, but generations Mm -hmm. of things that have been happening. Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming living on reserves and having been oppressed in many different ways adds to these levels of people, you know, trying their best to cope. And Mm -hmm. it often shows up in using substances to do that. Well, it's interesting. At one time, it was alcohol, mm. right? Fire water. Yeah. Um, that was a trading uh, um, expression. Okay. Because our people would trade, and uh, traders would use alcohol, fire water. Mm-hmm. And our people knew they were getting less than quality as they threw it in fire. Oh, uh, interesting. And if it, to see how it would cause a flame. flame. Mm-hmm. That's right. And, uh... Oh, I didn't know that's where it came from, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought because of the taste. <laughs> yeah. And so, um... And that took control over mm. many of our communities. Mm-hmm. As it did with other people, not just Indians. Right. Right, or First Peoples. And, but I, I'm speaking from my own experience mm-hmm. and uh, family and the community. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
It's like these laws, right? That, that told us we couldn't vote mm -hmm. in federal elections until 1960. Or the law that said we couldn't retain the services of lawyers mm. to fight land issues. Yeah, and right? this is part of the Indian Act. You're... Well, but beyond. Okay. Like they pass specific laws wow. pro prohibiting our, uh, our people from uh, hiring lawyers to fight for land That's on insane. land issues. Wow. So there was a past law. Yeah. We couldn't leave our communities unless the Indian agent signed off the permit. Right. Wow. Right. And uh, women couldn't hold office in our communities until 1952. And, uh, and so there's been yeah. significant change from those ugly moments. Yeah, right? absolutely. And uh, as I said, we're on a journey. It's going to be a long one. And uh, we have some wonderful, wonderfully, I should say, intelligent young people, mm -hmm. very gifted, well-educated. They've come to know and understand the political system. Mm -hmm. We are more involved politically than we've ever been uh, asked. And so all of that is going to uh, make a significant difference in the direction that Canada will go. Mm -hmm. And as I said the other day, we're looking ahead, right? Looking forward, the arrow of time goes that way. Yes, it doesn't go back. Exactly. Right. So, we, uh, you know, and understand that concept. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that, and I want to talk about one other thing. So, you're you've been in Iceland for what, almost a little over a week. Yeah, uh, we have two more days. Two more days. Okay. And so far, you went north as well. Uh, uh -huh. What have you enjoyed <laughs> about being in the country and kind of just observing or nature-wise, is there anything in particular that you were been having fun seeing? Spas. Ooh, yeah. Okay, you're a spa person. That's nice. Fish. Okay, you've been eating fish? Beautiful fish. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, I'm just amazed at the number of outstanding restaurants. Mm -hmm. There's such good Good food in this uh, small this place. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Yeah, and the people mm, yeah. are uh, friendly and accommodating and open. Um, and I'm just uh, an overwhelmed in many fact mm -hmm. that this country, as big as it is, holds such a small population. Yes. Yeah. And what I understand is that at least, no, oh, what would I say? Only a quarter of Iceland is occupied. Yeah, so it's around 80% again that's uninhabited. So mm. unlike Greenland, where it's mostly ice, mm -hmm. there's the highlands and different areas that are just not mm -hmm. really um, accommodating to life, we'll mm -hmm. say. It's very harsh. And so, yeah, it's around the coast again, mm -hmm. similarly, and using and this is why fishing was so important here. And has been an industry that's so important. Love your horses. Yeah, yeah, they're so cute, right? Beautiful. <laughs> they're amazing. Did you get? Yes. A, did you go horse, yeah. horseback riding? No, no. but uh, you know, they're able to pat the horses. Yeah, they're friendly. They are. They're so curious. Yes, they just want to. They like. They will literally come up and be like, "Oh, what are you? What are you doing today?" <laughs> so, Do you have any carrots? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, there are. That's true. And hopefully, you didn't give them any because. No. Okay. What, what happens? Well, it's just that they're uh, some of them on certain diets, and oh, they, they are. yeah. So like the farmers slash you know people who own the horses, they would prefer people not to give them treats or like even if it's just carrots because yeah. uh, this could increase competition amongst them. And oh, then we saw that. Yeah, that that's what starts to happen yeah. is that the horses start to be like you know a little bit mm -hmm. more restless and mm -hmm. to a degree, and then also it might they might have some digestive thing going on anyway where they have them on a special diet. So oh this could goodness. interfere with that. So it is, and I've talked about this in other podcast episodes. Yeah. Do not but, feed the horses. <laughs> the other thing that is so impressive mm -hmm. is that has to do with universities. Yeah. You have so many mm -hmm. universities here, places of higher education. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. It's the case that like a lot of people can stay here and do their specialty, but like doctors and things mm -hmm. still have to leave. But as the population is growing, we're over 370,000 now, mm -hmm. which is incredible. But like you said, it's still small. There's been an explosion. <laughs> yes, of immigrants. 
Yeah. Over 15% of Iceland are now people of foreign origin. Really? Yes. Wow. So the demographic of the country is changing. And of course, for the better. For the better. And also, like Icelanders, there's some fear about losing language and things like this. So there's like, um, because it's so rapidly happening, people are finding how do you hold on mm-hmm. <laughs> to the culture while integrating new people. And this is one of the biggest discussions that happens here wow. around, you know, um, not wanting to stay the same as much. Well, some people do, of course, so you don't always mm-hmm. have those. But how do you retain while still because uh, they need people. It's mm-hmm. not like, you know, this is a, um, by chance, people just randomly move to Iceland. It's more like jobs, specialists, construction. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of Icelanders have higher education. Well, what we what we understand, too, that mm-hmm. there are, I may have mentioned this the other day, mm-hmm. you have a number of millionaires on this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. there are a lot of people who've made a lot of money, yes. for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And what would they have made their money on? Fishing is a huge industry. So, I mean, it's a small amount of families, but it still trickles down to different mm-hmm. people. And then technology is really big here, too. So there's, like, video game companies and people doing different type of tech-related things. And that hot dog stands. In hot dog stands. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm sure that family is a millionaire. I've seen, well, we've seen that hot, hot dog stand just outside of her. Hotel. Yeah, yeah. That's a very busy place. The consumption of hot dogs in Iceland is huge. Ice cream. The milk industry? Yeah. They call it the milk mafia? I don't call it that, but, you know, I'm just saying. that's Because you're from New York? No, no, no. no. In Iceland, there's a company that's, like, the largest. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, because I'm from Brooklyn. That's fine. (laughs) But, yeah, there's a a milk monopoly, if you will. Oh, my. Yeah, that's got a hold on the market. How about about mutton? I don't think so. No? No. I don't think that's a... um, I mean, obviously, sheep, that's another, you know, industry in terms of that, too. But I don't know if they make mutton first. Like, you know, I had, uh, yes, last night uh, for dinner, mm-hmm. bullfish. Mm. Bullfish. The same as catfish. Interesting. Okay. That's a good Back home. Oh. <laughs> Hit the spot. Yeah. Yes. Do any, like, things, it was, we're, we're a little bit running out of time, but, like, do any of the things that you see here from Icelandic people remind you of New Icelanders back home? Color of the skin. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> the hair. Some features, some features. But it is and, different, right? In terms yeah. of, yeah. Oh, gosh. And uh, for a while, I thought that there was only one predominant group, obviously. Uh, yeah, see? yeah, yeah. Of like, course, it's what you know. Yeah. I'll give you an example. We go to this restaurant, mm-hmm. and we're served by this uh, blonde woman, mm-hmm. young. Mm-hmm. And then we go to another restaurant. We thought, hey, didn't she just serve us over there? <laughs> she's really, you know? she's really and fast. Then, and then we went up north. Hey, look, we were served by this woman in Reykjavik. And, you know, we... <laughs> I don't know what you call that. And, there are, you know, there, and it's the case where I've seen it, that there are some people who have very similar features. Mm-hmm. and But there are separate groups, meaning like in Iceland, um, Icelanders who, you know, um, I've just been like, are you, is your cousin this person? And they might not know that person, but their features mm-hmm. look so similar. And not every person, but literally just like a group where you find that some features look similar and in others. And yeah, but also when it comes to the blonde hair, a lot of Icelandic women dye their hair. They do. Yes, a lot of them do. Um, because they, not everyone has a natural, like really blonde, blonde look. They might have like a brownish blonde type oh, of thing. So they prefer blonde, blonde. I. Many, not everybody, but it is yeah. It is also another big industry is hair salons in Iceland and uh, dying hair blonde. You have good shopping here as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. Look at the jacket. Oh, you got that here? Yes, oh, I did. nice. Okay, yeah. look at you. Styling yeah. and profiling in Iceland. Yes. Icelanders really care about their their style too. Yes. So, yeah, nice. And, uh, yeah, and people walk all over the place. Yes. Especially Reykjavik, because it's yeah. such a walkable city. It's mm-hmm. very nice. Like, your hotel is three minutes from here, mm-hmm. which is great. And the downtown area, I feel, is so welcoming in that way. Because it's, you know, the city, mm-hmm. but it's tiny. So you could just feel like you're, you know, get to yeah. any place. Kathleen is driving around. What is it? A circle? Is that, what is it called? A roundabout? Or, or you know, there's uh, not the golden circle. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, the, was she at the di- the golden, golden circle today? Yes. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that led, like the national yeah. park and yes. the yes. the waterfall. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. 
Yeah, it's a beautiful so, part of the country. Oh my gosh, yeah. we'll be back. Yeah, I hope so. In Absolutely. the summertime. Yes. So that you can see all the vibrant green and everything. Oh, wow, it does turn green. Yes, it turns very green. So everything that you've seen so far that has this sort of brownish color, that will be a vibrant green. And then there's in May and June, late May, uh, early June, there are these plants called lupin mm-hmm. or lupina. And they're of amazing purple. So you have like this, it almost looks like lavender. Mm-hmm. And it's just really beautiful everywhere. It's unfortunately um, not the best for the environment. It's an invasive species that was brought from? over to help with like, I'm not sure, but it was supposed to be helping with like erosion, the road and stuff like oh, that. My. And then it, you know, in the wind, yeah, yes. because there's a lot of wind in Iceland, it just blows the seeds in places that actually is not so great for the plants that's, that are. That's, that's <laughs> another thing we notice is yeah. the wind. Yes. Very windy. Very windy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Went whale watching. Oh, nice. Did you see a whale? Lots of whales. Where? In Husavik or? Yeah, up north. Yeah, nice. Yes. That's amazing. Beautiful. That's awesome. And it's what? April 17th. So, April 17th. So that's a, you're saying it's a great time to go whale oh, watching. Uh, but one thing we haven't seen are the northern lights. Oh, yeah. It's late. Gone? It's re- well, so it's gone. It's possible in April, but very, very difficult because we have nighttime, but it's not as dark. Mm-hmm. So you could potentially see them but it will be way harder now than it would have been like last yeah. month well yeah. when we went to Osovac mm-hmm. we were close to the Arctic Circle yeah so, which gives you a little better of a chance because the day, days are still a little yes. bit longer than down here amazing place yeah well okay I want to end off though Thank uh, you. with first before we go um, because normally I ask about a word or phrase in Icelandic. Like a word? Do you have a word? Okay. Not, not in Icelandic. Yeah, yeah. but in Reykjavik. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Also, hey, like... you're on your toes. You're like, okay. also, like... <laughs> but in Ojibwe, in your yeah, Anin like... means hello. Anin. Kangut means hello. How Kangut. are you? Okay. Yeah. Wei wei Take care. Wei wei. Wei 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 Yeah. You go up min min I'll see you again. Nice. Minumatisen. Minimatism. Yeah. Live well. Thank yeah. you. Minimatism. Minimatism, yeah. Yeah, awesome. Shimigwich. Thank you very much. Shimi. Shimigwich. Shimigwich. Yeah. Shimigwich. Thank you very much. Well, Chifil Shimigwich. And it's been an absolute pleasure to have you. I really appreciate you sharing about your work and about different perspectives and regarding Indigenous people and mm. all the things that are happening. And I hope that many other people, and I'll, I'll have links in the show notes where people can connect with you mm. in, in all the, the different places where you are, or at least learn more about you. And uh, if they want to also help contribute to the work that you're doing as well. Thank you so much. Thank you too. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Miigwech. Miigwech. Bye.